We're going to be in Romans 15 today, and we are coming to um, the end of Romans. Probably be a few more weeks, and I am personally going to be a little saddened when we leave Romans behind because we've been in it for so long, and I have so enjoyed and benefited from our time in it. I trust you have as well. Um, we won't ever be done with Romans. We'll always have it to go back to, and if the Lord allows me to preach a few decades more, maybe we'll go through it again. But we have another book to go to next, and what that is, you have to wait and see. We're in Romans 15 today. Romans chapter 15, we're down in verse 14, and it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. For God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. I like Halloween time because I can ask kids what they're going to dress up as for Halloween. I get a little concerned when grown-ups can tell me what they're going to get dressed up as. Um, and Dan and I talked about this, and Dan adjusted his outfit. Kidding. But I want to ask you a question today. I want to ask you as... as grown-ups or old kids, not what do you want to be for Halloween, but what do you want to be for Jesus? And I'm going to give you the answer, and then hopefully through the text, I'm going to show you why that's the answer. And the answer is a paintbrush or a string. And I'm sure it makes sense to you where I'm going as I've read the text, and, and the title of the text is just so obvious, the paintbrush, that I probably don't even need to preach it, but I'll just go ahead and do it anyway. Now, we're in what's, what we could call the epilogue of Romans. Um, a man named Christopher Ashe, in his commentary, breaks Romans down into some real neat, clean lines. He calls 1 to, one, 1 to 15 the intro, 1 16 to 424 the coming under grace, 5 1 to 839 living under grace, 9 1 to 11 36 the overflow of grace. In 12, 1 through 15, 13, a church shaped by grace. Isn't that a beautiful flow? Could have preached the whole book in six weeks, but why would we do that? Ash doesn't do it that way either in his commentary. But 15, 14 to the end is the epilogue. Paul's laid out his theology. He's shown us the, the beautiful gospel unpacked and explored and looked at from so many different angles. And now Paul's going to show us his heart. And there's a, a correlation between the intro in 1, 1 and 15, which we looked at over a year ago, and the epilogue. And, and I encourage you to, to read them together, and you see so much flowing together. But Paul, 
may have lost his mind. I, I discovered this, you know. I discovered something new in scripture this week. No one's ever seen before. I'm joking. If anyone ever says that to you, run for the hills. There's nothing you're going to find in scripture, okay? But it does say, Paul does say to the church of God in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are what? Full of goodness. My God! Kim's not even here today, who pointed out so lovingly to me in Sunday school last week, yeah, we come because you tell us we stink every week. And Kim missed the wrong week, so Rich, I don't know if Rich will communicate this, you know, Rich may just keep this to himself. Paul has gone through week after week after week of you stink, you stink, you stink, you stink, you stink, and then look what he says here. You're what? Full of goodness. Well, what is going on? Paul actually, towards the end of his ministry, became a prosperity preacher. No. Does anyone here ever hear of a book called Galatians? Has a few chapters. And towards the end of Galatians, the Lord talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Who knows? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, athasasune. No, athasasune. It's goodness. And that same word in Galatians is the same word Paul uses here. And what he's saying to the church of God in Rome is, y'all know you stunk. You still got a stink issue in Romans 7, amen? amen? In Romans 3 on your own. Paul, in fact, calls himself the chief of all sinners, but he also knows he's full of goodness because he's bearing fruit in the Spirit. This is a good church. And Paul says to this good church, get gooder. It's a healthy church. And Paul says to this healthy church, get healthier. And church, I want to say to you that you are a good church, that we are a good church, but we can get gooder. We're full of goodness, but we can get fuller of goodness. And Paul is encouraging a good church who he's just shared the gospel with that they can get gooder. Isn't that a marvelous? So poor Kim misses. Poor Kim can go, she stinks. But the rest of you in Christ, <laughs> as we walk with Christ, and Kim included, are full of goodness through the Spirit working in us. Amen? Amen. Isn't that marvelous? And then he says, you're filled with all knowledge. Well, again, Paul's losing it, right? If they're filled with all knowledge, why do they need Paul talking to them? If you're full of goodness, why do you need the gospel? We explain that. If you're filled with all knowledge, why did he just spend all those chapters? What it means is they're filled with the truth of the gospel. And listen to me, if you're a believer and you're filled with the gospel, you desire to know more of Christ. They're filled with all they need, all they know. There we go. They're filled with all they need to desire to know more so they can be a better gooder. Unpack that. I hope that records. If you're saved, you will desire to know Christ better because you're full of the knowledge of Christ you need to know to be saved. You see that? Good church, get gooder. Knowledgeable, knowledgeable church, get more knowledge so you can know Christ better. Spiritual maturity is biblical knowledge plus trusting in Christ through his power. And then he goes on again to say what? Able to instruct one another. Able to counsel one another. Not just able to interact with one another. 
able to counsel and disciple and encourage and evangelize and guide and equip one another. It's a good church. It's a great church. It's a healthy church. I suppose this is a really basic question. So why the heck did Paul write Romans? It's a good church. Why does Paul, for almost 15 chapters, unpack the gospel in its most basic forms to a good church? In the gospel for lost people, yes? Of course it's for lost people. How can lost people come to faith? Well, they have to hear the gospel. But you know who it's more so for? Save people. Because how do you grow in your faith? How do you grow in your knowledge of Christ? It's only through the gospel. And Paul wrote to the good church of God in Rome so that they could get gooder, so they could be better equipped to care for one another, to give them more knowledge. He says right here, by way of reminder, we are quick to forget. We have what's called gospel amnesia. Forgetfulness and familiarity with truth. Jesus, Christmas, became incarnate. Mm-hmm. Jesus rose from the dead. He is risen. I'm born anew miraculously. Oh, wow. Right? It's familiarity. So what Paul's doing is presenting the same truth from different angles again and again and again and again and again. Do you know what I do every Sunday? It's the same prepackaged sermon. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That son lived a perfect life, died a death, taking the wrath of God, and rose three days later. It's all you're getting. If you haven't caught on to it, it's just the same thing. But I have to allow the Lord to use his text so we can see it from here, so we can see it from there, so we can see it from this way, so we never get gospel amnesia and become fatigued by familiarity. Paul is saying, good church get good, or healthy church get healthier, so you can love one another more and care for one another more, and you need this because you're forgetful people. It is marvelous, because he's reminding them here of a job entrusted to them that too often believers don't know, don't remember, or neglect. And do you know what the job is? It's sitting right here in the text. Is anyone here saved? Just Renee. All these years of labor. And just Renee. Just Renee. That's enough. Praise the Lord. The angels were rejoicing. Renee, let's go. We're out here. Besides Renee and hopefully myself, do you know what believers' primary vocation is? I bet you never thought about this, in fact. It says right there in the text, Paul was a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Y'all priests. Did you know that? Y'all priests. The temple tore the curtain. The high priest no longer has to go to the Father on our behalf. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all lamb, Passover lamb. We have not only access to the Father, but if I remember scripture properly, somewhere Peter told us that we are a royal, what? Priesthood, a holy nation, 
And if you go back just a couple verses from there, Peter again tells us that we have a priestly service. And if you go to Revelation, you see that we are called to a priestly service in 1, 6, and 26. Look at 1 Peter 2. Only wear out the Bibles a little bit today. I didn't mark this, so hopefully I can find it. Because that's you know how awkward that is as a pastor when you can't find what you're looking for? Yeah. If I have to go to the table of contents, you guys will have no confidence in my preaching. First Peter two. Look at verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a what? A holy priesthood. To do what? Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to contend that most believers don't know about this right now because the church has gone so far from this. Do you know what priests bring to God? What did it say there? Offerings or sacrifices. Now they used to bring lambs, doves, and grain. And I'm thankful we're not doing that because I would hate to have the trail of lamb poop coming down here, cleaning that up Sunday afternoon, and gutting and slaughtering those suckers and burning them outside. That'd just be messy. Grain would be okay, but again, it would get in the carpet and it would bother me. What are our sacrifices that we bring? Because we bring them ourselves. We're all priests. You don't, you don't have to bring it, present it to me. That's a fundamental problem with the Catholic Church. You don't need an intermediary. you got Christ as your intermediary. Yeah? You, you, don't, you don't need to come to a professional, vocational priest here. You go right to God himself. But what are the offerings you bring? Remember Romans 12? You bring yourself. You bring everything to do with yourself and all that the Lord's entrusted to yourself and you steward it as the Lord calls you to. You are a priesthood delivering yourself to the altar as a living sacrifice day in and day out. That's hard, amen? amen. You want to hear a harder thing you're supposed to bring? What did Paul say that he brings to God? Hmm. See, everybody missed it. I prefer not to have to deal with this because it's going to offend somebody. It's going to be hard work. In fact, it's going to be impossible work. And check this out. Paul was made a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of what? You, know, you, you want to just don't read. You don't, want, you don't want to know what it says. Do you want me to tell you what it says? So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul saying, here's why I wrote to you, good church, so you could be good. Knowledgeable church, so you could go on in knowledge. Loving church, so you could love and counsel and equip one another. I'm writing boldly at times because you're forgetful. You got gospel amnesia. You got familiarity fatigue. And you're forgetting that you're a royal priesthood not only to offer yourselves to God, holy, acceptable to God by the work of the Spirit, but listen closely to this, to offer other people to God, holy and blameless. 
Paul's desire was to present the Gentiles who were sanctified by the Holy Spirit to the Lord himself as a spiritual offering, holy and blameless. Could you imagine if we were called to that by the Lord too and not just Paul? That would be called clear biblical exposition. You and I are no different than Paul. He was entrusted with an uppercase A apostolic ministry, which is why we'll dig into this next time. He had a unique aspect of signs and wonders to his ministry. He was proclaiming the gospel, and the gospel was being affirmed and validated by the Lord uniquely in fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. It is fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit indwells believers, and you ain't going to do the signs and wonders of an apostle today by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you're charged with the same mission. So not only do I have to put John on the altar before the Lord as a spiritual offering, but I have to put Renee and Rich and Barb and Rich, I guess Evelyn. All of us, one another, are charged by God to present one another holy and blameless, for this is our spiritual service. Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He cleansed us and presented us to the Father. I can't cleanse you, but I can love you. I can counsel you. I can disciple you as I grow in my knowledge of Christ based on the knowledge I have as I grow in goodness based on the goodness God brings about in me so that we as a church can present one another before God holy and blameless. But there's more. We go out into a lost world looking for offerings. And how do you know which are the offerings? You walk in goodness. You walk in truth. You proclaim truth. And you see who the Holy Spirit, what does it say here? Sanctifies. Causes to be born anew. And do you know what you do with those people? You bring them before the Lord amongst his people so that we can be used by God to present them holy and blameless to him and they can be used by God to present us holy and blameless to God. It's a corporate priesthood presenting offerings before the Lord and this is called God's church. So you see the fundamental problem of a relationship with just me and Jesus. What's my offering? Imagine an Old Testament priest, high priest, Aaron. Oh, I saw fellowship with the Lord. He, he's, he was a lost Scottish guy. People didn't know that. I do not need the lambs and goats. I don't need the grain. I just see it and rest in the Lord's presence. His Shekinah glory warms my face so. I mean, what, what would you think of this guy as a priest? People are coming up, feed us, Aaron, feed us the truth of the Lord's word. Holy oh, me be, I rest in the Shekinah glory. The smoke, it just moisturizes. How often do we do that with Jesus? Oh, it's just me and Jesus. I do what I want. He kind of corrects my course if I get a little too out of shape. But he doesn't, he doesn't want too much stuff from me. You know, he's not really like that all for your whole life. Oh, I want the grace. It is people. Who cares about people? 
People are just difficult. They're, they're annoying. They're, they're, they're frustrating. And listen, if, if God wants to save them, God's going to save them. Yes. Mm. I remember reading about a, a guy, the chubby priest. You'll get it in a minute, hopefully. And he had some kids working in, in, the, in the pastorate with him. And he had uh, some issues in discipling those, those kids. And this chubby priest, he was uh, sitting on a stool. Some lady came and talked to him, and whoa, he fell over, a whole big mess, and kids got dead because they were robbing stuff out of, the, out of the church. You know, they were, they were picking stuff out for themselves. They were neglecting the, the pastorate, as the Lord had called them to. And my friends, this is what happened. You can, go, you can go back and try to find that. It's in the Old Testament. They had two boys pitchforking offerings to God, take food for themselves, and the chubby dad fell. There was an ark of the covenant. You figure it out. Hope this records or you're lost. But too often, for too long, what we've neglected as a church, and I don't mean God's Grace Bible Church, I mean the American church, is, my friends, we are a priesthood. Perhaps you grew up in homes where parents told you, religion's a private matter. You don't talk with other people about that. There is nothing more satanic than that comment. Perhaps you find yourself in an individualistic culture where you are immensely focused on you and what you like, and not too much caring about other people, in particular in the household of God. My friends, that is satanic at root. We are called to love one another at great cost in covenantally committed relationships as one body for his glory. And when the lost world looks at a church, they see a car wreck of body parts scattered all around. Paul is writing to a good church. I mean a good, healthy church. You know what makes them healthy? They knew they stunk, but they knew in Christ they could be full of goodness. They knew they were dumb, but they knew God was the source of all truth. And as they walked in light of that, they knew they were called to and able to counsel one another, care for one another, instruct one another. And Paul says to them rather boldly, don't, don't you love that word there? Paul was, um, I, I'm pretty confident if I put the pieces of scripture together, Paul's a funny-looking guy who's pretty short, has a really awkward voice when you hear him speak, but a man who was confident in Christ, and in fact so ordinary in all other ways, God was able to use him extraordinarily. Paul comes to this church. Interestingly, Paul had never been to the church of God in Rome. He doesn't know these people face to face. He desires to go to them. He's heard of their faith way back in Romans 1, but he writes to them very boldly. I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. There are times in love that we need to be bold with one another. We, we, we need to speak truth encouragingly and lovingly with one another, and by boldness, don't misunderstand that with bulldozing. The boldness often is by you putting yourself at risk, your reputation at risk, how people think of you at risk. Perhaps it means sharing like Paul does in Romans 7. I ain't got it all together. I'm a pretty nasty, sick person on the inside. But praise be to God for Christ Jesus. And inviting people to walk with you as you walk with Christ. And Paul, Paul took what we in the world would call risk, but what in Christ is called safe steps. And he worked his way through, and he says right here, he's fulfilling his priestly service so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, 
He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. So, dude, Paul's losing it. First, he's saying, no one is good, no one is righteous. Then he's saying, everybody's good. Then he's saying, here's all this stuff you need to know. And then it's, oh, you already know everything. You're not making any sense, is he? making perfect sense. But look, he says now, and I'm proud of my work. I'm so proud of my work. You ever meet a proud pastor? Would you be comfortable or uncomfortable around a proud pastor? Now think about it. I see why you guys don't answer most of my questions. I hope to be proud of the ministry God has entrusted to me. But proud in the right way. And I hope you all are proud of the ministry God has entrusted to you, fellow priests, but proud in the right way. It says in both 1 and 2 Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in what? Boast in what? You can say it, you're right now. Boast in the Lord. So here's where I started, and don't be all thinking I'm, I'm finishing yet. It's another hour and a half to that. I'm kidding. I want you to imagine a paintbrush in a jar. And there's a proud paintbrush. Look at me. Look at my bristles. Made out of mink fur. I am a beautiful, beautiful brush. The finest wood comprises my brush handle. I am by brass binding, holding these mink fur pieces together. I am better than all other brushes. I am a proud brush. Now I want you to picture a skinny little chip brush where it looks like some child matted it on the, on the pavement and it's made out of just plastic bristles and it's covered and never been cleaned right. And this brush says, I'm a proud brush. Other brushes, but look at your bristles. They are disgusting. Just, oh, I'm a proud brush. I have bristles. But look at your look at your handle. It looks like cheap plastic. I have a handle. Look at your binding. It's not even brass. It's nothing. But I have a binding. And then the artist shows up in the room. And the artist picks up that nasty plastic duct tape brush and begins to paint. My friend, that brush is proud because the Lord picked it up to paint with. Paul is proud of his work because the Lord picked him up to paint with. And the question that Romans gets us to in Romans 15 is this. Number one, has the Lord even put you in the bucket and is he picking you up to paint with you? Because if the Lord is painting with you, you should be proud of your work. But if you're painting something for yourself, I got news for you, it's going to burn. You may make a beautiful picture. You may have 75,000 people sitting in your church. You may write 1,400 books, and you may have shiny white teeth. But you're painting with your own brush. You may live in a third world country. The bathroom in your church may be a fresh dug hole behind a curtain in the corner of your hut. You may have two people showing up to hear the Lord's word preached and they're two of your four kids. You may have no means to eat but the cattle that you go and kill for the week. And if you are the Lord's brush, you should be proud of that work. Now, how about you? Maybe you go to work on Monday and you're proud of what you do because you got a promotion and a nice income and 14 homes. Stop. I'm asking, are you a paintbrush on Monday? Are you a string on a violin? 
Does the string go, look at me. I'm real cat cut. I sound beautiful. I am perfectly tuned to name. Look at me. And then you see the, the violin string that was on the violin in my elementary school that looked like it was one bow run away from exploding. <laughs> May I be the one that's one bowstring away from exploding if the Lord delights to pull his bow across my surface. Amen? Are you proud of your work? Paul was proud of his work because Paul can't sanctify a Gentile, can he? But the Lord can, and the Lord used Paul to sanctify Gentiles. How did the Lord use Paul to sanctify Gentiles? By this basic, ordinary gospel. This seemingly... So simple truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the former. He came into the world, as we'll see downstairs today, not because we had a goodness problem, but because we had a sin problem. And he came to save us from sin, not just save us from sin, but cause us to be born anew in Christ. He lived the life we couldn't. He took the wrath of God due ourselves upon him. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. So we are not just forgiven from sin. We are sanctified after being regenerated so we might be a paintbrush for God. Said another way, you're born anew and given bristles. And Paul says, now go and paint. And the only way you paint is by going, how am I supposed to paint? I'm just a brush. Well, get on the altar. And as you go on the altar, the Lord uses you to put other brushes on the altar as well. So what is a church? It's a big jar of brushes where God's painting a beautiful picture of Jesus through which he draws people to himself. And then he sends us out into the world, and my illustration of paintbrushes falls apart there. So we're called to go out as priests, bringing God to the people, and bringing the people to God. Did you know that that was your calling in Christ? The gospel is not, not a simple, feel-good, motivational message. The gospel is truth through and through. Well, how do you do it? Wouldn't it be nice if we just stopped here and said, go do it. Go get painted. Go, go. This week, I'd like everyone to collect six lost people so we can offer them to God. You get a big fire pit next to the moon bounce, and, you know, it's like, moon bounce are burning. Well, how do, you, how do you do this? It's really not that hard. You do it by starting at the basics. Are you daily? being reminded of the truth of the gospel? Are you daily being reminded that Jesus is better? Better than what? Don't need to answer that. It's everything. Jesus is better. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is more capable. Jesus is more kind. Jesus is more gracious. Jesus is more loving. And if there's anything in your life that you think is better than Jesus, Turn around and go the other way quick. You may have the world's greatest spouse. Actually, that's not possible. You may have the world's second greatest spouse, because I got the best one. But Jesus is better. You may have a great job and a great income and great health, but Jesus is better. You may have a horrible job and a horrible spouse and a horrible income, and that's okay, 
because Jesus is better. And the first thing you need to do is be reminded afresh and anew each day that Jesus is better. And as you're reminded that Jesus is better, you get your back end up on that altar again, and you realize not only is, his, is he better, but it's all his. And as you steward it for his glory, you get to enjoy the better Jesus as you are being made better, or gooder if you want to follow through with where we were. And then you keep going with that. And you realize that God calls you to live in fellowship with one another. You see, here's where the feel-good, fall-apart thing happens. Because he calls you to hard work of dying to self on that altar. And realize this. You ever think of it this way? People know in the scripture it says, people should not seek to be teachers for they will be held to a higher standard. Right? You know, that, that's in there and it's true. And you know what that's based on? More words coming out of my mouth than yours. I got more room to trip up and I can cause more collateral damage. But listen, a lot of people think, oh, pray for, pray for, the, yeah, pray for the pastor. Don't misunderstand me. But pray for the pastor because God's going to hold him to account. That's true. But he's going to hold you to account also. And if you look at the light, even just start in the context of, of a church family. And the Lord works in concentric circles. Start in the context of a church family. Jesus will ask, you, Renee and I have been around Lot Patty's back there, but we got folks going back 12, almost 15 years that have kind of drifted off. You know, we have to give an account for those people. We, we joyfully get to give an account for those people would be the ideal way to say, or we, we got to talk to Jesus about that. Now, grace is bigger. Don't, don't, get, don't get bogged down here and lose it. Grace is larger. God redeems those things in the past that we mess up and those things that we mess up in the future. But don't bring your offering sloppy to the, to the Lord. You know, Aaron didn't come skipping in, dropping lamb pieces over here and here. We're a precious offering to be brought to the Lord. And think about it, as you look around the room and, and hang out downstairs talking with people, those are image bearers. Those are the pinnacle of creation. And God calls us just as, if you take one of my kids out for the day and you come back and be like, yeah, I don't know where they went, we'll have a problem. Or if you neglect my child, you know, if you take Charlie for the day and he comes home, I'm so hungry. Oh, this is not going to let me have lunch. But he only had $7 and he was eating the burger and I wasn't. Oh. We'll have an issue. We'll have an issue. But it's the same with the Lord. And just because Mr. Thomas isn't eight, I better make sure he's well-fed and cared for because he's my brother in Christ and I have an obligation before the Lord as, as priest with him to present him holy and blameless as he does for me. But to do it, I got to be on the altar. To do it, I got to be reminded of who Jesus is. Paul was not a depressed and discouraged and despondent man, though he went through hard times. He was a proud man, but proud in the right things. Amen? So be good, get gooder. Know Christ and know Christ better. Counsel one another and be counseled by one another. Know Romans 1, 15, or 16 to 15, 13 intimately. Realize, Paul got here through those previous 14 and change chapters. We never really finished with Romans. Because Romans is never finished with us. It's living and active. 
Paul was being reminded of the same truth. And you know what Paul is doing right this very moment? As he's worshiping in the Lord's presence? He's being reminded of the same truth again. And for all of eternity, we will be instructed by the Lord himself, face to face, of the beauty and the depth of the gospel, and never for eternity will we plummet fully. Now, I would really love to keep going here because Paul's going to start to talk about Spain and he's going to start talking about... Well, I'm going to stop. Because I myself am satisfied about you, my brother. Don't you love the encouragement there? He's been beating these folks up, it seems like, for all these chapters. And he says, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. That you yourselves are full of goodness. Don't we need to hear that? Don't we as believers need to hear that? As we walk with Christ, we are full of goodness. Filled with all knowledge. Sound doctrine. Knowing the truth of the gospel. And able to instruct one another. Church isn't about just getting to know each other's middle names. It's about getting to know each other's lives. And being in a position where you can speak truth into one another's lives and being more worried about not you speaking truth into another person's life, but another speaking truth into yours. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. you see that? Because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service. You are priests by grace. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished through me, listen to this, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Notice what the offering is. Obedient Gentiles. Obedient believers. Our goal is to spur one another on to love and good works, to present one another holy and acceptable before God. First and foremost, ourselves. Secondly, one another. And third, those lost people out there who desperately need God's forgiveness. This is some serious business, amen? This is a serious God we serve. But this is a God who seriously loves us and saves us and empowers us and invites us to be proud, to be joy-filled, and to be His. Amen? Father, help us to be priests as you've saved us to. Help us to live the lives that you've saved us to. And help us to marvel, Lord, that we can do this because you will cause it to happen. We have all the resources we need because you, Lord, dwell in us. 
Lord, help us to not be a small-minded people. Help us to not look at what you charge us with and think, I I can't possibly do that. And Lord, do that as you remind us throughout Scripture of the myriad times that people came before you and said to you, Lord, I I can't do that. And you said to Moses, oh, yes, you can. You said to Joshua, oh, yes, you can. And you said to David, oh, yes, you can. And you said to men and women throughout the history of humanity that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, but we can do nothing on our own. Lord, help us learn the lessons from those who've come before us in the past as you intend, and help our lives be a lesson to those who not only walk alongside us, but who who will come down the road in the generations to come of the immensity of you of the incredible grace and mercy that you bestow upon those that you call to yourself as you cause us to be born anew to a living hope. And Lord, help us to live in light of that, presenting ourselves before you, presenting one another before you, and going out into a lost world, looking for others to present before you who are sanctified by you. Jesus, help us to see you as better than anything. We pray in your name, we pray for your glory, and we pray giving thanks in all ways. Amen.